Hey, what's up? It's MJ. Want to snag a $100 Napa cab for $25? Wine Spies finds incredible wines at ridiculous prices. We're talking Zinfandel, Barolo, Champagne, you name it. Some of these wines are up to 75% off. It's not a club, so there's no obligation to buy. They even have a build a case option so you can mix and match wines and take advantage of free shipping on every purchase. Make sure you keep an eye out for their daily offer because once a wine sells out, there's no guarantee it'll be back. Go ahead and check them out. You'll even get a discount by going to winespies.com forward slash black wine guy. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, everybody. What's up? It's MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is celebrated wine expert and co-founder of Railsback Frères Winery in Santa Inez, Inez, California, Lyle Railsback. Uh, he was named by wine enthusiasts as a top 40 under 40 tastemaker. Lyle spent 10 years working in restaurants and then 12 years doing national sales for legendary wine merchant Kermit Lynch. He studied art at George Fox University in Oregon's Willamette Valley, where he first fell in love with wine while cooking, waiting tables, and foraging for wild mushrooms. We're going to get into what kind of mushrooms he found. Um, he is married to noted sommelier and author Victoria James, who is a partner at Cote, the celebrated New York restaurant. In 2017, he did illustrations for Drink Pink, a celebration of rosé written by his wife Victoria, and which they published through Harper Collins. Welcome, Lyle. Is there anything else you would like to add? I think you've covered it. I think we're good. That's a wrap. Okay. Thank you. All right. That was good. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. Boom, boom, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Okay. All right. So Lyle and I connected. <sighs> Guys, I know it's cliche, again, through Instagram, but uh, I don't know. I followed him. It was better than his. Farmers Only. Yeah. <laughs> if, we, if we had connected through Farmers Only. Yeah. That would be scary. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Farmers Only. Remember that commercial, the progression of that commercial? <laughs> I was, like, it, it was so bad. And then it got like, you know, then it was like they were out in a bar. But first it was like literally it was like American Gothic, like, I want to date someone. Uh, <laughs> the pitchfork always seals the deal. It, that's yeah. what she said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So, Lyle, man, tell us about um, what we're drinking tonight and what else you've brought. What other gifts you come bearing? Uh, thank you. Yeah, this is uh, an honor to be here. I wanted to bring kind of a, a last bottle kind of experience. Uh, there was a thing a while ago, famous winemakers were being interviewed for what their last meal would be or their last bottle would be. And Jean-Marc Rouleau from Merceau, who mm -hmm. we, we worked with at Kermit Lynch, said his last meal would be a bottle of Pouffinet Vin Jaune and Comte de Cheese. 
and I think it's just a beautiful idea. Um, it's not, you know, it's still, I think, an in- industry insider kind of wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a pretty new producer. This is their current release, 2012. It's Van Jean, uh, of course, aged Souvoil. And this guy worked with Puffini for eight years. So it's like a young up-and-comer who worked with the the classic, uh, iconic guy of the region. Um, so 24-month Comte cheese to go with it. Shouldn't suck. Yeah, I don't think it's going to suck. So... Um, uh, tell a bit, a little bit more about the wine because we do have. I have great. I have listeners who are winemakers. I have listeners all levels. So a lot of them might not know about the Vinjon. So just cool. Break it down for them a little bit. Yeah, this is from the Jura region of France, which is uh, just east of Burgundy, uh, between Burgundy and Switzerland. It's probably the most uh, bucolic rolling hills. There's more cows than people in the Jura. Uh, seriously, and. Um, <laughs> The wines that are made here are a pretty old style. Um, the legend was that when the men went away to the wars, no one topped up the barrels. And so this this layer of mold or, or veil that formed on top of the wine, uh, sort of giving it this almost sherry-like quality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that that veil eats the sugars. So this, this like sherry, it's the driest wine possible. There's 0.0 sugar. Um, but you get this really interesting... Crazy aromas and, and flavors. Uh, someone said mezcal was a flavor you got out of this wine. Uh, the grape is Sauvignon, mm-hmm. which is the white grape of the region, super high in acid. When you take a sip of this, you're just like salivating instantly. So I, the cheese seemed like a good move. Nice. Yeah. And I dig the bottle. And I, I also dig like it's like – so like I hate uh, I hate fit vine. I call it shit vine. Like that whole marketing behind it. Like there's no sugar in it. I'm like, well, most wine doesn't. Like, but this now we're talking a, a real quality wine. Like if someone's like, I don't want sugar in my wine, then you need to get some Vin Jean, my man. Okay. Yeah. It has 14 percent alcohol, which Oops. your body metabolizes into sugar later. But that's a whole. Yeah, other I mean, that's everything turns into sugar <laughs> at the end of the day. That's the whole joke of it, right? You eat yeah. a steak, it has to turn to sugar, man. Yeah. Like protein, you know. But uh. Yeah. Yeah, fourteen. Come on, man. I yeah, I drink so much Paso wine. I'm like, I'm like, it's not. <laughs> is, I'm like, if it's not fifteen, it's no. a breakfast wine. Yeah. Is, yeah. <clears throat> no, I I I I don't have any um, issues as long as the wine's good. I don't think I don't. You know, if if a wine's too hot, it's too hot. You know, but like, you know, I love a refreshing, crisp. You know, eleven point five or sometimes. You know, what I mean, a quaffer, a porch pounder, if you will. Yeah. All right. Um. So. Uh. Oh my God, we have so much to cover today. Um, but I always like to give people like a little backstory. So, you know, we read a little about your bio. Um, so, uh, when we were, when we were just meeting, you were saying you kind of grew up all over, uh, the country, like kind of, so I kind of think of like, um, where'd you go to high school? Cause that's like kind of really like that, that's where you go through the shit. You know, you got puberty, you got pimples, you know, were you in, were you in the same place for four years? Like, where did you kind of land when you were like uh, going to high school? Yeah, I went to three high schools. Uh, we moved around a lot growing up. I was born in California. We moved to Oregon. My brother was born there, back to California where my sister was born. And then I went to high school in Colorado and two different towns in Kansas. Um, when you're in high school in Kansas, you have to really be creative and find your own fun. So, uh, yeah, then I... Left and went to Oregon for college and uh, sort of still floated around since then. Okay. Okay. So you were like dust in the wind. Yeah. Um, Chasing tornadoes, you know, Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt. Yeah. That was Uh, on recently. That was an interesting movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I've been to Kansas before. So yeah, yeah, I could see you having to really work to uh, be in high school and be in Kansas, especially if you grew up, you know, if you came from out West, it'd be a way different place, you know? Very, very. Yeah. All right. So um, you went out to Oregon. 
Uh, you went to George Fox University in Willamette Valley, and uh, that's where you got into wine. Tell, how'd you get into wine? I got into cooking. I got into food first. Uh, I went to college for acting and drama. And when I got to college, the professor that had been leading the program had left. And so I decided to study art instead. I studied painting and Japanese wood-fired pottery. And I, but I was obsessed with food. I was constantly reading anything I could about uh, food and cooking. And I worked in the college cafeteria and in catering outfits and wanted to be a chef. And then went on a trip to Europe, came back, tried to get a job as a line cook and was told, this is in the, the Willamette Valley. I was told they filled the position, but we need a sommelier. And I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm 20. I can't legally drink. And I, I don't know anything about wine other than that I like it. And they said, well, that's okay. Uh, you can start tomorrow. And so I got a job in Oregon wine country and learned about Oregon Pinot first and a little bit about German Riesling. The wife's, the chef's wife was German. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's, a, oh my God, I love these stories. <laughs> He's 20, we, we, uh, we, we, we don't, we don't have a line cook position, but, uh, yeah. you know, uh, you want to be our Sam? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I can't really drink, but and I don't know shit about wine. I'll take it. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. so that's really cool. So like, um, so like like give like what what year was this? I'm just curious. I'm just... This was 1998. Okay. Okay. Ninety maybe 97. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you know, there had been. So break down some of the history of Oregon wine, because I know there's some older producers like Erie, you know, yeah. but it, it, it it's not, Oregon then was not what it is known to be now. You know what I mean? Like it, it was it was just up and coming. Now it's like, yeah. and, and, the, and the buzz was always like, it's American Burgundy, you know, um, um, I remember I used to get like some Ken Wright stuff, because I was, that's when I was working in New York. Yeah. But it wasn't, it wasn't, a, uh, you know, it wasn't a whole, whole lot. It wasn't like the Mecca, yeah. at least Outside of Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like at the time when I was, Ken Wright had like just started his own label in like the mid-90s, early to mid-90s. He had left where he was making wine previously, started his own thing, and it was like the coolest thing when I first discovered what that was. <laughs> uh, and all the old guys like David Lett from Irie and Erath and, and the old guard, people who were there in the 70s and 80s, they, they're still around and uh, they would come into our restaurants uh, frequently and, and bring great wines. And I, re I learned to really like the winemakers who would, bring in and not just drink their own wines, because uh, you still see that in this industry, people who are like, I want to drink my own wine. Uh, and then you have other guys like Eric Lemelson was a, was like an early reference point for me. He would bring in Coche Corton Charlemagne and, you know, crazy stuff that I had, I had no idea what it was. And he would share it graciously with, with us. And it mm -hmm. was, that was eye opening. Nice. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, back then it was like King Estate. Was huge out of Oregon, right? Yes. King, King of State Pinot huge. Gris. Yeah. So he's like, is that is is that like the Budweiser of Oregon? Uh, it's not as sparkling as Budweiser. <laughs> I like the carbonation in Budweiser myself, but uh, that's um, this cheese is banging. Oh, good. Oh my god. Mm. Thank you for the twenty-four month old cheese. Why? Right. <laughs> um, this is pre pre COVID cheese. 20, yeah, twenty-four months ago, we had never heard of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> All right. So um, what was the name of this place you worked at? You probably said it, but like no, it was the, the Jura is going to my head. The Jura, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wish I worked in the Jura. No, it was called the Joel Palmer House. Okay. And then later uh, – and so the, the chef was from Pennsylvania. He grew up uh, – he was Polish. He grew up mushroom hunting. 
So he would take me on hunts and we would go to golf courses and find huge porcini mushrooms. We would go truffle hunting with pitchforks and like rake the bottom of Douglas fir trees and get white and black truffles. And we found a lot of chanterelles. Matsutake were my favorite to find. Uh, I got super into that. Um, no, no psilocybin, if that's what you were going to Yeah, of course, ask. man. Come uh, on, man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, most, you know. I did try those in college, but it didn't work out for me. So I, I went back to chanterelles <laughs> after that. Uh, you know, you sh- as you should. Yeah. I mean, you should try things in college, kids. Um, so you're there. How long were you at, the, at that first place? I was, I think, four or five years. Oh, wow. Uh, through the end of college and then after college, I worked there a little bit. And then I went, went to San Francisco, got a job in a French restaurant. And I had this a manager. I, I was, you know, I'd come from Oregon, so I'm preaching the gospel about Oregon Pinot. People would try to order Burgundy, and I would say, no, yeah, you know, <laughs> try this Christum Pinot Noir instead. And so, I'd, <laughs> and some my manager saw me doing this, and he was like, all right, uh, let's start blind tasting. And so he would bring me two wines and decanters at the end of the night, and mm-hmm. and I very quickly learned, okay, wow, the world is a lot deeper, and there's just infinite possibilities with with the old world. Yeah. Uh, so I got into that, uh, moved back to Oregon, worked in, again, in wine country, but also in Portland at a restaurant I was at for four years called Paley's Place. So James Beard, award-winning chef. And we, we had a list of French wines. I was the sommelier and then eventually the wine buyer there. Um, and then also like half Oregon, half French wines, basically. Okay. Okay. So um, you were like guy off the street <clears throat> to being the psalm in the restaurant. Um any, did you ever pursue how, have you go the certification route? Um, mm, no. For, for both cooking and for wine. When I got into cooking, I worked with a guy who had worked with Wolfgang Puck at Spago. And he told me, I was really considering cooking school. I had a friend who was at the CIA. And this guy told me, you know, there, there are people who pay to go learn how to cook and they have a piece of paper. And we don't hire them. And then there are people who go and they get a job and they learn how to cook yeah. and we hire those people. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, uh, easy decision. I'm just going to cook. And then later when I got into wine, um, being in the Willamette Valley, I, I hadn't even heard of the court of master sommeliers until years later. It wasn't talked about like it is today. Right. Um, it was kind of a job, like, like a trade, like anything. Yeah. So I, you know, just on the job training and I, I worked, I think a lot of my learning came from, uh, I, Worked for three years at a wine shop called ENR Wine Shop in Portland, and I was doing that simultaneously to restaurants. And the owners of the shop, it was one of the best wine shops in America. And the owner was good friends with Jean Louis Chauve. He was friends with Roberto Conterno. The people from Krug would come, and we would do tastings back to 1959. So, as a young kid out of college, I used to taste a ton of stuff that I wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, Ed Palladino is his name. He's a great guy and showed me a lot. Shout out to Big Ed Palladino. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, I, when I was in, first started in the business in 97, started Acker, I had a similar experience. I just got to taste great wines every freaking night, mm. you know, just, you know, and, and then I, and I did actually did, did hear about, you know, the Master Somali thing, but, you know, I talked to, you know, uh, John's uncle, he's like, well, you know, you don't really need it. Like, like it wasn't, it wasn't like you didn't need it back mm. then. Like. And I think Robert Bohr was on here and he was saying how, you know, in the 90s, there was like four Psalms and they were like all French, you know what I mean? Like in New York City, like it wasn't this, this thing. Yeah. And, and, you, and, and like, I like what you said because my, uh, my day job used to be in education and, I, you know, in anything, um, 
people need to understand that there's going to be work that has to be put in a lot of hard work and it's and, and these are skills and you don't get your skills by reading them and taking tests necessarily you know what i mean so i, I really applaud that on the job training and and just diving in and putting in the work so mm. so good on you you know uh it seems like it's working out for you it's been fun <laughs> <laughs> all right so um <clears throat> You're you're Oregon. You're in San Francisco, which and then you went back to Oregon, um, and then I moved to Washington D.C. for a girl. Nice. That's, that's where it all takes a left turn. Okay, it always is about uh, a girl. It's always about a girl, uh, like you were saying mm-hmm. about S- Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't true. Uh, no, I, I I met a girl. I was I was officiating a wedding, and this girl was the maid of honor. So it was, it's just you know classic romantic comedy shit. I was like bridesmaid, so, man. Yeah. So you fall in love with the bridesmaid, uh, and then you call Bruce Nyers, who you know, and you say, Bruce, I'm moving to D.C. for a girl. Uh, I don't think I want to work in restaurants anymore. What should I do? And Bruce said, go work with Winebow. So I got a job on the street as a sales rep selling wine on the streets of D.C. I did that for two years, uh, figured it out. And then Bruce created a job for me at Kermit Lynch. Bruce was the national sales manager for Kermit for 25 years Mm -hmm. and really made it uh, what it is today. And I worked with Bruce for nine years at Kermit, uh, and then he retired, and uh, another three years later, and now I finally bounced, and I'm free. And it's, uh, well, we'll get to that. We got to unpack journey. We got to we got to unpack the Kermit Lynch stuff, man, because he's a fucking icon. Like, oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah. I remember um, just like that was like uh, Michael Capon, John's dad. He was. I remember he kind of just put me on to like. There's certain importers you know it's going to be good, like like Rosenthal, it's going to be good. Skernick, it's going to be good. Kermit Lynch, it's going to be great. Like mm-hmm. whether it's nine dollars or nine hundred, you can trust the wines in these people's books. Mm-hmm. So, um, you're in D.C. You're working for Winebow, <clears throat> and um, you're 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 and you're on the street, and then you uh, go to work for Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant. Um, so where did that job, where were you working for them? Were you out east? Where did you go back west? Where, where were you doing that work for them? Oh, uh, yeah. I skipped a step there. I, I moved back to I Oregon. Hey? Uh, I actually I moved back to Oregon and I uh, to start a company with a friend of mine. We were going to be importing some of our own wines we'd found in Europe. And we were going to represent Kermit and Vias for Oregon. And uh, two months later, after I'd moved back to do this, uh, was 2008, the market crashed. So all of our investors called us and said, hey, I just lost my life savings. Guess what? Can't fund your project. So we had to call Bruce and say, Bruce, we can't do this. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we've got wine on the water that we need to pay for, so let's figure it out. Um, we figured it out, and Bruce said, Lyle, what are you doing? Call me tomorrow on Sunday. So I called Bruce on Sunday, and he said, you need to fly down to Berkeley, meet Kermit, and come work for us. I said, wow, uh, opportunity of a lifetime. So I flew. I had an interview at Chez Panisse. Kermit and I drank two bottles of wine uh, at lunch. And uh, What'd you I, drink? I got given the job of my life. We started with a glass of Tompier Rosé, which right. uh, Alice pours by the glass year-round. It's her favorite wine on the planet. And, of course, when you go to Chez Panisse, you have to start with that. Uh, and then we had uh, an 85 La Migua from Tompier off there that Kermit had brought from his cellar. Um, and it was it was spectacular. Um, and then we ordered something else just to try it off the list uh, that I, I honestly don't remember. But I was too uh, awestruck, you know, meeting your heroes and and this whole thing. It was it was exciting. Yeah, awestruck. Yeah. I'll be awestruck after two <laughs> bottles of wine myself too. <laughs> That's what they're going. Sorry, officer, <laughs> I was awestruck. Yeah, I, you I know, know. No, I'm not drinking and driving. Yeah. I'm awestruck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. <clears throat> 
Yeah, lunch with Kermit Lynch. And um, so you go to work for them and uh, like, what, what was like your first day at Kermit Lynch? Wine, you know, wine. Well, the market had crashed, you know, so distributors around the country, it, the euro was at 1.65. So this whole tariff thing that we're in now, which is, is obviously terrible and we all hate it and we hope that... Uh, knock on wood with Biden, it'll go away. This is wasn't even as bad as the euro being at 1.65. So, um, you know, Muscadet that used to be $9 was now $14. And, and it, it just changed the metrics for everybody. Uh, and distributors around the, the US had stocks of wine that they couldn't sell that were too expensive. And it was just like closeout central and every distributor uh, didn't want to talk to you or didn't want to see you. And, you know, I'm I'm like the new kid on the block thinking, oh, I've got this business card that says Kermit, like, oh my gosh, every door is going to open for me. And it was the opposite. People were saying, oh, great, congratulations. I don't, we don't need to see you. You can stay home. And so you have to, you know, you have to get out there and pound the pavement just like everybody else. And uh, I was I started as the Northwest sales manager, so I was doing Oregon, Washington, Idaho. It, it eventually expanded, and I kept picking up other states. Kermit asked me after a few years to move down to the Bay Area and and sort of be in line to sort of take over for Bruce. And so I moved to St. Helena and lived. Uh, Bruce was based in St. Helena because he has his winery. He's Nyers, right? Nyers Vineyards, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Legend. Legend, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I did that and I was there less than a year. And, you know, I was every week I was driving two hours to SFO to fly somewhere different. And I eventually just said, you know, it's gorgeous here, but, you know, I'm, I'm just driving to the airport all every day. Right. Uh, why don't I live in New York, our biggest market? And I'll sort of, I can travel from there. I'll be closer to Europe and, and the whole thing. So I'm, I moved in 2014, I moved to New York. Uh, to be based here for Kermit. We opened a small office. Uh, I added a couple other employees here and um, yeah, just continued to travel and do the thing. And then in 2015, uh, Eric, my brother Eric and I started our own wine label. Hold on, we'll get to that. We'll oh, get to that. Uh, no, it's uh, good. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Relax. Relax, theater major. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, this is an iconic book. Like, so like, let's talk about, I mean, well, We'll we'll get into Lulu later because I know that is mm. like the inspiration for one of your wines. But like uh, Giuseppe Quintarelli, like like um, Kermit found Kush, didn't he? Like it was like this little not known Burgundy, and now it's like the fucking like you can't get it. I mean, not even at auction, like you got to be like rich. Not, the crazy thing is, it, the whole thing's upside down. You know, Kermit didn't just find Kush. Kermit struggled to sell Kush. He said, Kermit, this was before he had a national sales manager, mm-hmm. Kermit would fly to New York and visit top sommeliers back when there were three French sommeliers <laughs> and visit top buyers in New York City. And they would all say to him, oh, Kermit, you don't understand this uh, Merceau. I have Merceau for half the price. Why, why would I want? And this is back when Coach was $20, $30. I know. It wasn't even we're fucking talking, expensive, man. It's, no, the, the whole thing has changed. And even in the short time I've been involved, uh, when I started for Kermit in 08 – we were selling the last vintage of Versailles Cornas. It was $30 a bottle, 2006 vintage. Uh, now, if you find Versailles, it doesn't exist anymore, but if you find it on auction, it's $700 a bottle or more. Um, mm. And But this last vintage that I was selling, people, distributors would say, you don't understand. It's impossible to sell Cornas. It's, just, it's expensive. I have Cote for $10. Why, you know, I can't sell that. 
And it's it's about your mindset. And I think this is the I thing agree. I've really learned the most from Kermit is mindset. Mm-hmm. When when people think, oh, these Corsican wines are expensive compared to what? Right. You've got people in Napa Valley selling $100 Chardonnay. Why is a $40 Corsican Vermentino expensive? It's It's mindset. And Kermit, the whole thing for Kermit was about what's in the glass always. And, you know, Kermit really learned about wine from Richard Olney. There wouldn't be a Kermit Lynch wine merchant if it weren't for Richard Olney. Richard uh, wrote the book on Domaine de la Romani Conti, DRC. He okay. wrote the book okay. on Chateau Iquem. And he would buy Beaujolais by the barrel. He would keep a barrel of Beaujolais in his cellar and take a pitcher downstairs and fill it up from cool, <laughs> cool Beaujolais from the jug to serve at dinner. And, and the whole thing for Kermit was appreciating every wine for its type and for its place. Yeah. So there is this uh, problem in America with, with wine that we view the price tag as a sort of rating. Yeah. And people think, oh, it's expensive. It must be better. Right. And it, the thing you learn very quickly in France is the, the country wines, uh, you know, uh, when you, I worked a harvest in Merso at Carrion, uh, they're drinking Aligoté, you mm-hmm. know, they're, they're drinking the simple table wines mm-hmm. and appreciating them in the same way that you would a, a Premier Cru Merceau because these wines have a time and place. And I think Kermit really was one of the first importers in America to, you know, champion the Languedoc, champion Provence. We all know Tompier now. Right. For, for years, decades, Kermit had to beg people to buy the stuff and it was $2 a bottle retail. Yeah. So it's, you know, a lot's changed, but I think the, the perspective of like looking where no one else is looking and then, you know, t- uh, trusting your palate. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, oh, wow. I love those stories. Like when I had John Cape on, I was saying how his father used to have to give away DRC in the seventies and gift mm. because no, no, there was no demand for these wines, mm. you know, and, and the Kush, like you said, that that's crazy. Like, yeah. Uh, I haven't had Kush yet. Oh, sorry, I didn't. Yeah, have well, one to bring. That's right. You're, <laughs> Next you're, time, you're a friend of the show. He'll be back. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, Noted. Um, so, um, oh, and I just and this is this is my wanking me, Quintarelli. Oh my god. So have, how, what what what's the your, what's the best Quintarelli you've had? Like like. That's a hard. I don't know how to answer that. I think I think, uh, you know, tasting at Quintarelli is is a weird experience. See the motherfucker. Uh, he got to taste there. Uh, I had a bottle of Cab Franc once. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty serious one. It was a serious yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, talk about because like, like he holds his back, his wines back a while, doesn't he? Before he releases them. Something, oh yeah. Something, yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll hold on to Amarone, Amarone Reserva for like ten years before releasing. It's a it's a serious aging. Even the Valpolicella, I think, is four, five, six, seven years until they. Re- it, just, it depends on the year and what and the nature of the vintage, but. Uh, for me personally, like just the Valpolicella and the Rosso Cata Merlot, like I like mm-hmm. those wines from him, and I think they're a very you know, decent price. And when the Amarone, of course, it's special. The Rechotto is really amazing, but you know uh, there are so many occasions and times you can have a five hundred dollar bottle of Rechotto. So you have to <laughs> proceed with caution. <laughs> All right, so um, <clears throat> you know what? We're I'm going to take a quick break here. Um, at that point, because we're going to move into what you did after, you know, some of the exciting things about, you know, rails back and frares and what happened after you left Kermit Lynch. So uh, hang in there. We'll be right back, guys. If you follow me on social media, you know, I love discovering and drinking new and exciting labels and winemakers. The Wine Spies offer wines like Single Vineyard Tempranillo from Amador County, Single Vineyard Mount Veter Zen from Peter Franis. If you don't know who he is, now you know. 
Wine Spies has been gathering intel since 2007, so these guys are really connected in the biz, and that's how they can offer so many great deals. I love their locker feature. It lets you build a case over time so you can check out with just one bottle and avoid shipping charges. They have a top-notch tasting panel, so I can rely on the wines to be great every time, which lets me play around and discover more. The spies always take care of me, so if I'm not 100% happy with the wine, they'll make it right. And just for the listeners of my show, there's a special Black Wine Guy Experience URL discount code for $10 off your first order when you sign up at winespies.com forward slash Black Wine Guy. Okay, we're back. All right, so um, let's talk about uh, Railsback Frere's Winery. Um, your partner's with your brother, Eric, and uh, I read that it started out as a rosé project. Tell me more about that. It's all true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, my, my brother started a winery previously to Railsback Frere called Ludi. Yes, I've seen it. He, have, he has a melon. He has a melon. Yes, he has melon. He has Sauvignon Cap Blanc. Franc, yep. Mostly Sauvignon Blanc. Yep. They do Cabernet Franc. The whole idea was uh, paying homage to their favorite Loire Valley wines. Uh, Eric opened RN74 with Raj Parr. And at this time when you get to taste amazing, crazy burgundies, the wines that any of us can afford to drink are like, you know, the $20 Loire, Bourgogne, and Chinon. So... Uh, Eric really fell in love with those kind of wines just as like everyday crushers. And so he also at the time at RN74 Open, they were tasting like old Napa wines from mm -hmm. the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these wines had like 12.5 alcohol. Yep. And and they taste like European wines. Right. And the whole like judgment of Paris thing. Right. The wines were very different back then. Right. Eric got to know a lot of vineyards in Santa Barbara and started making Sauvignon Blanc as just a little – originally it was just like a private thing they were making for RN74. It got pretty big and interesting. And Eric and I would travel around the country and we would do like side-by-side -side brother tastings where he would pour Ludi and I would pour a Kermit equivalent. So we're doing like his Melon next to Muscadet from Brégion, his Sauvignon Blanc next to one of our Sancerre producers. And people in the room, sommeliers, are getting the wines confused. And it was so cool to see. Here's my kid brother. He's created this thing in Santa Barbara and the wines are 12-5. They're balanced. They're fresh. They have good minerality. And it's the new world. There, there are no rules. So Eric and I, Eric came to me a few years later, 2015, actually in the end of 14. And he said, you know, there's really good Mivedra and, and Carignan and Grenache here. Like, what if we make a tribute to Lulu and do rosé? I'm thinking, great. I'd, I'd never had any aspirations to make my own wine. But seeing what you've done with Ludi, it's amazing. And that sounds great. Let's do it. So we, we bought a few tons of, of grapes uh, the Mouvedre we found was a little too expensive to use in a rosé. So we did a red Mouvedre, uh, whole cluster, partial carbonic style. And then we did uh, Carignan and Grenache Sanso for rosé. Uh, we call it Le Rascas, which is the scorpion fish, which is uh, Lulu, who passed away, sadly, mm -hmm. this last year. At 102. Yeah, it's like, I mean, uh, God bless her, but she, 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 got, had a, she got her century in, bro. Yeah. A couple of people like reached out saying, oh my gosh, what a tragedy. It's, I mean, she was 102. Yeah. I don't, no one was surprised. I think. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> legend. You don't, you don't want anybody legend. to pass, but damn. Man, yeah. You know, I mean, like. If we it, can, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 102. And, and, and till the end, you know, I saw her a year before, uh, the last time I was in France, January of 
of 2020. And Lulu was there telling dirty jokes in her thick Provencal accent. Uh, just an incredible force, an cr- incredible person. And uh, she made wine about people. She made, she made wine about more than just what was in the bottle. And, I, and, you know, super inspirational. Every time we would see her, you know, a tear would come to your eye. And here's this little four-foot-three woman who just lights up a room. Uh, really incredible. And so, yeah. And obviously, Rosé. Tampier is the reference point. That's the, yeah. that's the rosé that changed everything yeah. for Americans drinking rosé. Well, <laughs> the Americans with discriminating palates. <laughs> but I think it's, I mean, of course there's still rosé, I mean, industrial rosé. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I agree. I mean, but like, you know, you, you, you know, I work, got a part-time gig working in a, a Whole Foods, which is supermarket, selling wine in supermarkets, very funny and very different mm-hmm. on the East Coast than, than California. But like, Literally, like, <clears throat> you know, I'm always steering people towards Provence for rosé. I'm like, look, you're going to spend $15. This this, this is better than, I'm not going to say the name that I always make fun of, but, you know, I'm like, it's better than this, you know, like, yeah. this is real rosé. Um, and um, I, I think that's the one. And that also, that wine is ageable. Like, people don't get, like, that, that rosé is. Totally, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, what's the oldest? Have you had it? Obviously, what what like what's some of the oldest vintages you've had of uh, Tampier? I mean, I've had some older rosés with twenty and thirty years on them. Uh, I think at that point they just are a curiosity and they're interesting. Sure, and they'll bring them out at the end of the meal with cheese. Right. Um, but I think with ten years, no problem. Like Tampier with ten years, you lose some of the fruit, you lose the baby fat, and you get more of the salinity. You get the taste of the place, mm-hmm. the salty air of Bandol. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, amazing. And and I and really for Kermit, you know, if you get Kermit in the room, uh, he'll bring up the subject of of malolactic in white wine or malolactic in rosé three times. That's that's kind of like what he wants to talk about. <laughs> and uh, he's, he likes to joke that he'll he'll be remembered as the anti-filtration guy, you know, no fining, no filtering. He was certainly one of the first importers to request that of producers. Um, but really, uh, this idea of going back to making wine in wood old, old wood, Mm -hmm. and allowing a malolactic was something that when Kermit got into wine in the 60s, early 70s, it was the first time in history where scientists were taking over wineries and stainless steel was first introduced. And he would, Kermit would go into old cellars, whether it's in Sancerre or wherever, Mm -hmm. and all the old barrels that had these magical wines that went through full mallow in a slow way. The next year, the barrels were gone, shiny stainless tanks were there, and they were blocking the mallow and the wine was lifeless. And and there's this thing with white wine. People were told by enologists, if you block the mallow, you preserve acidity and it's mm-hmm. fresher and the mm-hmm. wine tastes fresher and it's better. Mm-hmm. In fact, the opposite is true. And if you block the mallow, you have, well, you have malic acid, but you don't have this lactic acid. The wines don't age as well and they don't go down as easy. So um, that was the thing for rosé with Tampier. And that's for Eric and I, we, we took the same approach. So our rosé still is made in neutral burgundy barrels. Mm-hmm. So there's no taste of wood, but mm-hmm. they uh, have an exchange of oxygen flow. And then we allow mallow naturally. So everything's native yeast fermentation. We don't inoculate. Um, our wines are made at Presqu'il Winery. So they have an amazing facility. Everything's native yeast. There's no inoculations. So it's very safe. And um, by letting it go slowly through mallow, it takes like six months or so. Uh, you have this round, creamy fleshiness, and then we're harvesting early, so we pick at twenty-two bricks, so mm-hmm. you still have good freshness and good acidity. And yeah. so, so who's um, who's homage to Lulu's better, yours or uh, Bedrock Morgan's? Just straight up ode to Lulu. 
<laughs> I like the the name of theirs, and I wasn't aware of that when we came out with Roscoss, but um, no, it's good. It's uh, it's good. I like your name better than Roscoss. Roscoss has a nice ring. It does, man. Yeah. Like like I like that. That's I'm like, oh baby, I got some Roscoss. So Lulu, I, I didn't. I, I got sidetracked, but the. Uh, the, the Roscas, Lulu insists that to make the classic bouillabaisse, the fish soup of Provence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you have to use Roscas, which is the scorpion fish. And uh, I, I like this idea because it's something that we don't have here. So she's basically saying, well, you can't make it in America. Yeah, she's like, you do not have bouillabaisse <laughs> in America. <laughs> we, we may have it in the we sea, but there's, there's no market for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Roscas, the other thing is it's kind of like a trash fish, you know, where the fishmonger eats it. So it was kind of thrown away. And I like that because also in Santa Inez, most people are growing Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and that's what the market is for. And the wines are twice as expensive. And for us, it was like, okay, here are these great vineyards. We can come and like, oh, these people are practically giving away Grenache and Sanso and Carignan that no one wants to work with it. So great. We'll buy the leftovers and we'll make it into something delicious. Nice, nice, nice. So, um, so you mentioned that you had bought some Moved for that wine, but it was too expensive to uh, put into the rosé. Where where did where did you source that from? Um, we source we, we work now with like a five different vineyard partners, but the Movedra initially was coming from Biennacito. Uh, that's, that's what that my mind went to Biennacito when Great I think of expensive vineyard. fruit. Yeah. And, I mean, well deserved. I mean, you know, we're not talking yeah. crazy. Napa, what's it, Beckstoffer, just I know how to run the price up prices, but like literally. Tokalan. Yeah, yeah, literally. And and just for like, it is a place, it's not a brand. (laughs) Um, But um, we still work with Bien Nacido, and and they're amazing. It's uh, seriously one of the best vineyards there. Um, we, we buy Syrah from there's a Z block, the steepest part of Biennacito. But I think, you know, especially in America, there's this price, you know, ceiling for Rosé. People don't want to buy a, I mean, they already have that with Bandol. It's like, oh, $50 Rosé. Uh, it's like, well, okay, you know, you'll drink a $50 white wine or a red wine, <laughs> but it's, uh, anyways, it's neither here nor there. We just decided rather than trying to sell a $30 California Rosé, let's make a red wine. And in doing so, it was an amazing accident where, the carbonic uh, process with Muvedra was like really inspired by another Kermit producer named Maxime Magnon, okay. who trained with Salos in Champagne. Okay. He worked with the Gang of Four in Beaujolais, spent time with Thierry Alamond in tell, Cornas. Tell some of my other people who the Gang of Four are in Beaujolais. Just uh, like, like my producer. <laughs> yeah. She's like, who's, the, yeah. who's this fucking Gang of Four, man? Slow down. I want to learn about wine, MJ. <laughs> Yeah, no, but uh, sorry, I'm dropping it. lots of names here. No, it's no. all good. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm fine, but like I, I'm this is, I'm doing my job as a whole. I'm like, let's unpack that. The uh, the gang of four. It's uh, it was coined by Kermit. Kermit mm-hmm. uh, fell in love with Beaujolais, of course, early days, and then in the '90s, Beaujolais really changed as a region, and what had become a pretty industrial place with a lot of machine harvesting, wine being made with chemical yeast, chaptalizing with lots of sugar, heating up, pasteurizing the wine, sterile filtering the wine. Everything you could do to make Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Beaujolais got this terrible name. And during the same time, uh, Kermit's book, he talks about Jules Chauvet, who kind of started natural wine, which is, is of course, become bastardized now. But yes, that's yeah. another – that's episode two. Yeah. That's when, I bring the, when I bring the coach, we can talk about that. Cool. Because we, we do need to get into that <laughs> on a deeper level. Yeah. So this guy, Jules Chauvet, this young guy worked with him named Marcel Lapierre. Uh, who passed away soon after I came to work for Kermit. Mm. And Marcel was like a 
the sort of missionary zeal, and he turned other guys in the region onto farming without chemicals, making wine with nothing other than grapes was the intent. Not a rule, not dogma, but the intent. And so uh, Kermit found himself one day with four Morgon producers at a time when you couldn't even sell one Morgon producer in America. Mm -hmm. And he says, geez, I've got four producers. These guys are kind of rebels of the region. And there was this 70s rock group called the Gang of Four, which was named after a Chinese dissident party. So the whole thing has got lots of layers. But uh, anyways, Lapierre, Foyard, Tevenet, Breton, the Gang of Four, Absolute rock stars. They changed the world for Beaujolais. Uh, and Maxime Magnon, going back full circle to this guy who is making wine in Corbière in the south of France, mm -hmm. he spent time with them and he moved, went to the south of France and is making Carignan and other southern Rhone reds with whole cluster, partial carbonic. And it just brings out the freshness, uh, elevates the fruit, makes them crushable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, uh, wow. I was, that Corbiere, there's a $13 Corbiere. I don't know who makes that out of Carmen's book. It's sick. Oh, Domaine de Fonsin. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, oh, it's just one of those. Legit. That was the first Kermit wine I ever had. That black label yeah, the Fonsin. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that wine's serious. That is some yeah. serious. It is. It yeah. really is. Um, and so, yeah. And then, like, I know that, um, like you said, uh, Beaujolais has had this renaissance and it's crew Beaujolais what's like a, do you have a, like a favorite crew in Beaujolais uh, no he's like no I love it all <laughs> it's I mean, all, you know they're, it's really about more producers I, I mean there's certainly they taste different uh, the, the sense of place is real you know, yep. if you taste Moulin au Vent it's a very different experience than a Chirouble or a, a Fleury um, but I think there's more great producers in Morgon, maybe just because it's bigger and more historically great wine being made there. Um, but yeah, I think uh, there's also good Beaujolais that's non-crew. I think people talk about the crews, which is important, but there's also producers in the south, which is closer to Lyon. They have golden limestone down there and amazing, amazing stuff as well. Cool, cool. So you guys, you have you come from this very old world place, like you said, Um you, you and your brother were doing the, the tastings, the blind tastings, and, and you were just fucking psalms up like, oh, they couldn't figure it out. Um, the wines are very harmonious and balanced. So um, what other uh, wines are in your portfolio right now? So we're, we're still making rosé. Uh, we, we do carbonic Carignan now instead of Mouvedre. Uh, we liked just what that gives. It's really what uh, Maxime Magnon's doing. We're doing Bien Nacido's Asansouf Syrah, a Syrah with no sulfur which is Bien Nacido Z-Block, completely zero sulfur. Uh, we've done some Grenache. Uh, we've really gotten serious about Vermentino. We, we use the Corsican name for it. Vermentino, yeah. of course, roll mm -hmm. in French. But in Corsica, working for Kermit, uh, I fell in love with Corsica. I've been there several times. Kermit's obsessed. We ha Kermit has nine producers on the island. And Corsica, people, you know, think, oh, what's this little island in the Mediterranean, whatever. Uh, but once you go, when you go there and see what's being done, the level uh, of growers like Abatucci, Canarelli, Antoine Arena, these guys are, are they're, they're making Vermentino like it's Burgundy. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're making it like white Burgundy and it's, it's a whole nother level. And so that really like turned us on and got us excited. And we found some Vermentino in Santa Ynez and we're like, oh, no way, I, let's just try it. So we bought a little bit. We did it in cement eggs to turn the lees and give it that sort of texture that you want. Um, but also again, picked early. So it was zippy and fresh. Uh, and then just bottled it with no filtration, just a rough, 
uh, or no fine, no fining, just a rough filtration for solids. And the, the first result was like, wow, I, I can't believe this. This is like Vermentino from California. Who even knew it existed? And wow, it's delicious. So then the next year we expanded. Uh, we found a second vineyard on pure sand. It looks like a beach uh, called Brick Barn. And then this year we, we just barrel tasted the first samples of 2020. We have three vineyards of Vermentino, which again, we call Vermentino with a U. And we're doing, uh, we're going to do single vineyard site specific bottlings, Vermentino on sand, Vermentino on limestone and Vermentino on uh, marine sedimentary loam. And it's, it's like crazy to see, okay, here's one little place in Santa Barbara County and here's three different expressions of what Vermentino can do. So we're, we're going further down this path. So you're going to like a little, uh, Vermentino three card Monty. Like mix the balls <laughs> around. Smiles, exactly. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. limestone. No, you're wrong. You got to pay $50. You got to pay double. Um, <laughs> no, that's really cool. I, 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 it seems that you are definitely um, influenced by, you know, terroir. You were in Willamette Valley and then you went to work for Kermit Lynch. And like, I mean, you, your wines are like driven by a sense of place. Safe to say, driven by a sense of place. That's, that's very much what we want to do. Um, but with a nod towards the old world. So obviously the project we call Frere because we're Francophiles. Um, right. We certainly don't come from that, but uh, we come from California. But uh, definitely we're paying homage to, you know, wines that are meant to go at the table with food that are lower alcohol, that are more digestible. You can drink a second bottle if it's 12.5, you know. So we're trying to do that. I can drink a second bottle anytime. Speak for yourself. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but no, I really like – I was, I was kind of hoping. I was like – I was like – I was kind of almost like, oh – Rails back for it. I was like, what if, oh, is there dad Steve Rails back, the, uh, mm. the, the action actor from the 70s and 80s? Uh, but I guess not, not. Not closely related. We're actually more closely related to Mickey Mantle. And I'm sorry I didn't say that as my favorite. Oh, come uh, on, man. Your favorite athlete. Favorite athlete, yeah. Well, I, I, I could see why he wouldn't necessarily, like, you didn't know him. And then, like, from understanding, he wasn't really like a that super of a guy. Not to dish your family, man. No, but, no, no. I've heard. I've heard <laughs> you know, but, I've heard stories. Yeah, but. Um, Grandma Roxy told us lots of stories. Wow, that's really cool. So, oh, wow, that's interesting. Um, so, <clears throat> let's let's uh, talk to me about. I mean, oh, there's so much wine history you must have. Like, I always like like what's like like a memorable. Well, why Santa Barbara? That's what I wonder. Why Santa Barbara? Because I lived in Santa Barbara for ten years, and like I moved there in 1999. Yeah, and it's just interesting that. Um, you know now Raj is there. You're, so many people are making wine there. Yeah, and 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 like, it still seems like underrated. Still, I don't I don't get it. Like like why? How'd you guys Santa Barbara? I'll tell you once we turn the podcast off. I don't want too many people to know. Okay. About, no, I'm just kidding. It's uh, it's an amazing place. It, it's a transverse valley. It's one of the few transverse valleys in North America. So you get these breezes that come off of the Pacific Ocean, and they cool everything down. So you, you think Southern California, it's going to be a warmer climate, uh, like couldn't be more opposite to Paso. And we're in the Santa Inez, so it's 45 minutes up in the mountains from Santa Barbara. Over the pass. Over the pass. Gorgeous, but like tucked up in there, and yeah. so things are cooler. Um, you know, we can get enough hang time and still make wines with 12.5 alcohol. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. Um, I, I just, it, like... Just to have seen so much press about Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara. I'm like, you know, I live there. It's great. It's incredible. And like you said, Genesito, I mean, oh, my God. Like, mm. 
to score fruit out of the air is, you know, we got we got lucky. Yeah, so someone has to either die or give yeah. up, give up the parcel, and we yeah. Yeah, yeah. no one died, but we. They, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, you know, we'll talk about that after the mics go off. <laughs> but, no, just kidding. Um, but uh, like, um, so where was your brother at? Was your brother based in Southern California, or was he like was? Yeah. And after he was, he was like, "Yo, yeah. come to Santa Barbara." Yeah, he he left R in seventy four. He opened up a, a wine bar, retail restaurant space in Santa Barbara called Le Marchand. Um, ran that for a few years and then it morphed into something else Maddie called Maddie's Tavern. And then he's really like left and focused on, he started Verve with Dustin Wilson. So he's like had, he's, he's a very much an entrepreneur and he's got always a dozen different, whenever I talk to him, he's like, oh, we're going to do this project in Oregon. We're going to do this. And like, he's, he's got a ton of ideas. It's amazing. Uh, he really thinks in a different way than I do. Um, but yeah, he, he lived in Santa Barbara for quite a while, Los Olivos. And just fell in love with the the place and the and the access to really amazing fruit there. So that's the draw. Um, I go out there occasionally, of course, for the winery, but I've never lived there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you say your brother. That's a, I. I always like to find out. Like, um, I don't know if I've done this on a podcast, but in life, I like to find out. So, like you said, like so, like I know, like Robert, like came from a hardworking family, and like you know, so like. Was was one of your parents entrepreneurial? Where where do you think your brother picked it up from? I mean, like, because yeah, our great grandfather was actually an early California grape grower, uh, early wine grower um, back in the back in the day. And then there were two generations of uh, you know religious uh, upbringing that said wine is evil, and so my, our grandfather stopped growing wine grapes. He converted to fruit farming, and then raising pigs and all this. We come from farming families. Uh, uh, we we okay. grew up with a lot of like fresh persimmons and Asian pears and like, you know, good good fruit off the farm is like really one of the great pleasures to talk about wine being delicious, but really like a summer, you know, pear and it's right off the tree is, is really where it's at. Uh, so then, you know, our, our parents were in education. My dad taught in colleges, still does. Okay. And uh, we've found our way back to wine. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. See, you gotta you gotta coax this out of people. He's like, well, actually, my great grandfather we used to grow grapes back in the day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, and then also, I think it's, it's like it's not. I mean, obviously, you're you're a team, but it's so funny. It kind of sounded like like you said he's like a driving force. Like he's just got some people just have that right. Just like I got an idea. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do that. Like yeah. Like. How? What's the age difference between you two? We're five years apart. Okay. Yeah. So were you a good big brother? Well, don't ever ask him about the Lego separator incident <laughs> or the time I made him take a shit in the front yard. But other than that, I was perfect. MJ, thanks for asking. It's just no, because I, I had an older <laughs> sister and, and she was three years older. And yeah. I mean, like it, she was, you know, well, I was, I, I was a, a annoying a little brother. Oh, yeah. I was oh, an yeah. annoying little brother. Yeah. Well, I knew how to work her and work my parents but uh That's but like she she would uh she would scratch me are you guys still close now <laughs> she passed last oh, year i'm sorry uh, but um we we got closer uh the older we got obviously we got closer but you know um once we got through like you know uh, you know you know nine to 12 or whatever it was mm. we, we got close but yeah um nice. so it's just kind of <clears throat> funny dynamics um what what about your other siblings anybody else in wine or we, restaurants we have a or, sister yeah. our sister is amazing she lives in chicago 
We've gotten her kind of involved in the wine project as well. Our Vermentino, we call Railsback Sir. Okay. Rail, sister Sir, Sir. Railsback, yeah. mm-hmm. the label somewhere. Um, just be, It was kind of a joke when we first started making a white wine. We were just like joking about what to call it. And we're thinking instead of frere, you know, there's a thing in America where like red wine is manly and white wine is for women. And so we were joking like, oh, we could call the white wine Railsback Sir because it's like a sister wine. And then we did it and it's sort of, it's just, we left it cause it's cool. So <laughs> that that's cool. our sister. And she's helping like with some of the label design we're doing. And she's a graphic designer and filmmaker. She's done two documentaries on in the wine, uh, one on Georgian wine. She's now working on one about, uh, Japanese fermented beverages. Oh, wow. So I got to check out uh, that Georgian wine. Our last guest, uh, was talking, he was alluding, he had been to Georgia. He said, you know, and, uh. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Some of the oldest vineyards in the world. Like, so that's like, yeah, yeah it goes back it's to Georgia. Stuff. Very cool. So, her, her film's called uh, Our Blood is Wine. Okay. Our Blood is Wine. That'll yeah, be in the show notes, everybody. There you go. Yeah, see, you just talked your sister up. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, that's really cool. You, you get the whole family going. So, um, you're also part of a, a dynamic duo. Oh, she's definitely the better half. Oh, good answer. There's no, there's no, I know it's true. I know it's no true, denying. but I, I have I mean, to joke, man. That's what I do. No, good answer. It's, it's going to hang in perpetuity. Yeah. Whether it's a, whether it's a romantic love partnership partner or any person in your life surrounding yourself with people who make you better is like the only way forward, the only right. way to get better. Right. And, right. and getting to know Victoria and marrying her is like, you know, I won the lotto. It's a, well, see, Robert Bohr says he won a lotto. So how'd you meet Victoria? I want to hear the story. How'd you meet Victoria? We, uh, she was uh, working at Marea, and I had just moved to New York um, for Kermit, and we got to know each other through just like restaurant acquaintances, I think. She came to uh, Jack Mason, Baby Jack. Do you know him? Mm-mm. He's, he's living in Texas now, but okay. he, he was the wine director for Marta, Okay, and he had just Heard gotten his Master Sommelier degree and so they were having a party at Marta any excuse for Marta pizza and and good wine I will be there so um I was there Victoria was there we kind of like that was the first time we like met and talked um she famously like approached me and said hi I'm Victoria and I, apparently I said I know <laughs> and like <laughs> smooth man <laughs> yeah real yeah. real classy uh-huh. so she still talked to me after that apparently and uh she left Maria and then got a job at this a little restaurant in the West Village called Piora and I got to know her better when she was there. Uh, we started courting. And um, our first date was me cooking her dinner. I love I said courting. Uh, what yeah. a gentleman. <laughs> you yeah. see, a producer's swooning in the corner. She's yeah. like, I want to be courted. Yeah. <laughs> um, she loves her husband. <laughs> She's been courted. Fantastic. Okay. So you courted. So you, and. It, you did the smooth move. Come over to my place. I'll cook for you. Well, it started wine. as a, we were both seeing other people when we first met. And then I left a relationship and I was single for a little bit and sent her a message saying, Hey, let's do dinner sometime. And she said, well, I'm, I'm seeing someone. I said, no, it's fine. Like, let's like, like a work thing. Let's, let's go to lunch. I'll take you to lunch. I'm, I'm selling wine. You're buying wine. It's strictly business. So we, we, he did the lunch thing. It takes the pressure. We off. did the lunch thing yeah, first. Yeah. And then later it was like, you know, you should come over for dinner. And she said, I'm still seeing someone. And I said, no, 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 like a, you know, a dinner. Bring him. Bring your guy. And I'll bring, I don't know, Dustin Wilson or somebody that's a mutual friend. I, and, and the day before, she messaged me and said, just wanted to let you know. I, I broke up with him. It's just going to be me coming. 
And I said, well, honestly, I've, I've been traveling and I haven't invited anybody, so it'll just be the two of us. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that was it. I'd have been like, ah, I got, I got, I got food for four. You're killing yeah. me. <laughs> nah. It worked out. It did work out. We made Zuni Cafe chicken. Okay. We drank a, a bottle of Arno Ant Bourgogne Blanc. And then, mm. a, then we drank a magnum of Collier Rouge, which is our favorite wine together. I know. There's three, uh, three bottles in now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, drank, then we drank Maxime Mignon after that. <laughs> so it was a big night. But we stayed up reading poetry and painting until three in the morning. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's taken, ladies. Not that any girls listen to this podcast. Women, <laughs> rather. But guys, you, all you single guys out there. You, you, all you single guys, uh, message Vino Jeff Taylor. He will show you everything he knows about how to court women. <laughs> the, his, his Instagram handle will be in the show notes. Yeah, very nice. I'm going to have to start following us, dude. Yep. Um, and so um, so then you guys court, and then uh, your wife is uh, she's a badass, like you said. I mean, like you said. So uh, it's all about the book. Yeah, she uh, she's always written things, written articles. And, you know, pour yourself some wine. You're a little parched. Let's pour some vinos. The producer cannot produce without the Van Jean. No. I think we know that. Yes. A, um, yeah, so, yeah, so. She's a she's a great writer. Thank you, sir. Yeah, uh, yeah. She she had written lots of articles, and you know she'd been on wine trips uh, for her job, and she had done articles for a number of different publications, and just a hustler. I mean, if if anyone wants to know the full story, it's called Wine Girl. Her her most recent book is about okay. her whole trials and tribulations of getting into the business as a twelve year old, and and getting a, being a woman in, in a, a man's industry. But uh, she was writing – she had written an article about Rosé. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of as – just as Rosé is like becoming a real big thing. And a publisher approached her and said, hey, um, would you write a, a book on Rosé? And she said, well, gosh, I've never written a book. But sure, I, I could do it. And Good answer. Uh, so Goes she, back to your favorite word when I ask you like, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes we do. <laughs> we can. <laughs> so uh, she wrote it. And then she contracted. She, they said, do you know anyone who's an illustrator? And she said, yeah, my husband. <laughs> and I hadn't illustrated anything for years. So I have a college art degree, which you know qualified me to wait tables. So uh, yeah, we had a couple months to do it. And she was done way before the deadline and then she was hounding me to do the drawings until the night before it was due i like your style yeah that's kind of how i would have rolled on it, that it worked one out yeah and um you know um uh, so what's been going on with uh you when since COVID hit man wow yeah what a year yeah i went from tra i was traveling 75 percent of the time all over the country and trips to europe of course and uh, now, you know, Zoom tastings last year and going crazy in a, an apartment, trying to figure out ways to stay motivated and stay interested and, um, you know, stay happy and not beat yourself up and not, not drink too much, you know, mm -hmm. uh, find that balance and, uh, stay healthy. But yeah, it's, it was a challenge. Um, but I, I, I think we did it. I think we had a, we had a pretty strong year with Kermit and, um, in the meantime, I've now of course, left Kermit and it's the wild blue yonder. So um, a lot of cooking at home, which has been nice. But of course, we miss we miss restaurants. My coat has still been open. Victoria has been uh, doing food to go and, and takeaway and outdoor dining and all of that. And it's weird. She's been taking lots of notes. She's probably going to do a book on like 
restaurants during a pandemic. That's a good book. Uh, there's a lot of crazy shit that I'm happens. I'm sure. <laughs> so, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So, like, you know, what prompted the move? Was it was just time to leave Kermit Lynch? Yeah, it was time to leave Kermit Lynch, and uh, maybe it was past due time. I don't. I don't mean to be rude saying that. I think yeah, no. Kermit's amazing, and I, there's no. Of course, it's like you know, it's the number one French importer in America. It still is, but I think the, the company's changed, and it was, you know, I think uh, it was time to be challenged. And so now I'm waking up out of bed every morning, a little scared, and I think uh, being a little scared is a good thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So what's 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 really what's what's really your focus? What's next? I mean, so you have you have uh, rails back frares. Is, it, is yeah. that scaling that up, or or you, what, what's in the what's in the pipeline for you? Yeah. Well, uh, I think the thing I'm the most excited about is the least financially viable, which is Kunwas. That'll be in the show notes because no one has no one knows how to pronounce oh, it. I love what it is. I love a good Kunwas. We found this fucking Kunwas that is unbelievable. It's, it's Beau Castell cuttings that Tablas Creek brought over. They're being grown in this limestone amphitheater vineyard in uh, uh, the southern part of Los Olivos. And we we didn't know what to do with it. We just, oh, well, let's try a quinoa. So whatever, we can blend it into the wine or something. So I wrote Daniel Brunier from uh, View Telegraph. Yep. And I wrote Daniel Ravier from Tompier and asked them both, Kunwas, what do I do with it? And they they both said, I don't know. We don't have it. But <laughs> Daniel Brunier asked Beau Castel and Daniel Ravier asked Chateau Prado. And they both got back to us and said, yeah, you should do it whole cluster. And the guys at Beau Castel say, Kunwas is the grape of the future. This is for global warming. This is the grape that's adding natural acidity and it's super fresh and bright. So we did this whole, clust whole cluster Kunwas in 2020. We just tasted the barrel sample of it. And it is like super, it's like, almost like aromas of Rayos, like super floral, really bright. Like, I'm, I'm not saying it's as good as Rayos. The vines are young, but it's like, no, but, it's exciting. Oh, it's super exciting. exciting. Exactly. We're going to make zero money off of it. And then we're also going to have another project uh, of Cabernet Sauvignon, which is slightly more uh, potential for making money. So it's so funny because I, I actually had the opportunity when I was in Santa Barbara, when I was still in the, uh, officially in the wine business, like in 2000 or 2001, mm. uh, went to Tablas Creek, which was still relatively young then. And Robert Haas was there mm. and we did a lunch and they had a, made a cassoulet. Mm. But they, they had a Kunwas. They, they, had, they had just had a straight Kunwas. It mm. was like blew my mind. So it, was like, it was just from the barrel. Mm. And um, I've heard from other winemakers in Paso Robles the same thing like Kunwas um, might end up being, um, like you said, it's, 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 it's potential here in the new world, I mean, I'm sure it's great and old, but potentially in the new world for it is 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 uh, people are pretty people who who are geeky about wine are really into it. You know what I mean? Going back to trusting what's in the glass, being excited about that. You know, of course, it's not going to be as easy to sell as Cabernet Sauvignon, but right. when you put your nose in a glass and you like something, you've got to go with your heart. Yeah, a buddy of mine made made a Cunois Rosé out of Paso, and it's mm. stunning. It it reminds me of. Something you get from I know they don't use it, but it's the, the body and the texture reminds me of a bandol rose. I mean, it's mm. like killer stuff. So Cabernet Sauvignon, where where's that from? Is that coming out of the valley Santa as well? Santa Inez, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We found a couple of vineyards. We've for the last two years we've made a Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot Cab Franc uh, private label for a restaurant, and it was it was great. Uh, we were surprised at how good it was. We were surprised at 
the, the cost of the fruit for the quality. Uh, and then we'd sort of been, been planning all last year to to do a Cabernet Sauvignon as kind of a little – it's not going to be called Railsback Frere because we want Railsback Frere to really be about Provence, mm-hmm. Corsica, Northern Rhone, uh, inspired by the south of France. And so this will be called something else. Uh, I don't think we've announced it officially, but we can do it today on the podcast. It's going to be called Roman Ceremony. And it's going to be Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, under 30 bucks from Santa Inez. We're super stoked on where it's coming from and the quality of the fruit. Uh, it'll be released later this fall. Nice. So I love this podcast kicks ass. <laughs> um, no, it's very cool. I can't wait to try that, man. I, I, um, you know, when I was living in Santa Barbara, you had Fred Brander was doing uh, Bordeaux varietal stuff. But a lot of stuff was really green and vegetal. So I think it's kind of worked. The vines are older now and they're, mm. they're developing more primary flavors, but you're still going to get that nice herbaceousness and, you know, that balance. So I'm excited to see uh, what you guys produce out of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon from from Santa Barbara, which, like you said, is known for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And, and uh, you know, well, when you live there, I'm like, I know, I went there for the Rhone stuff, man. I went there for yeah. the Grenache, the Syrah, the Benicitos, you know, um, all the Pinots too. But yeah. but it's, it's exciting to see the stuff you're playing with. I love... I, I did a post. I love Calitali, so I can't wait to try that bottle of Vermentino you gave me. I love anything that's Italian grown in California. That's Cal Corse, by the way. Yeah? Not Calitali. Cal Corse. Cal Corse? Yeah. Okay. It's Corsican. It's Corsican. Yeah. Cal Corse. Cal Corse. It's a new. I stand correct. Yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> Listen, it's, I come on here to learn myself, man. I don't, I don't know shit I, about wine. We just wine. made it up. I just I know. I, was, I, I love that. Was, that was beautiful. That's like. Well, you're on the game. So, yeah, I can't wait to try my first Cal course. Damn. We're just, just first today on the BWG experience. Um, so, like, everything you've done, amazing. Um, is there ever a time when you were just, like, thought about walking away from the wine business and say, you know, I'm going to go illustrate. I'm going to go get on backstage and apply for some acting gigs. <laughs> Was there ever a time you thought about walking away? Uh, I don't know. It's really hard. You feel there's certainly, yeah, I think I'm tempted to like go try something else just to push myself. But at the same time, like it it becomes a part of your life. And so, you know, even if I got a job as a shoemaker or a a shirt maker, uh, by the way, we are, I am starting a project to do Western shirts uh, with a friend of mine in Milan, but that's, that's another, that's a different podcast. Um, (laughs) But no, I think Lyle uh, <laughs> Railsback, true renaissance, uh, man. I'm digging it. I think that the, the clothing thing has become really interesting to me, and it's not it's not about fashion. It's the opposite of that. Um, but it's l- when you f- follow these like growers who are artisans making beverages or cheese or whatever. It's the same as like an, a tailor, mm-hmm. a shirt maker, mm-hmm. uh, these guys who are doing something by hand. The old, we're not talking fast fashion. We're from talking China. craftsmen. We're talking some, like a suit that takes 70 hours of handwork, yeah. shoes that take six months to be completed, like right. this kind of thing. It's uh, fascinating to me. Yeah. Really interesting. No, that's cool. I, I'm, I'm digging your style. We, I got to get these up on, on YouTube, but we'll send the clips. But it came in. He's, he's got the blazer. He's got the striped shirt. It's rocking the shit, man. You don't have to wear pants during COVID, though. So I was told you you'd said uh, we yeah, didn't have to wear yeah, pants. Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, it's all fine. No pants. No pants. It's all good. It's all zero. Um, but yeah, no. We, I like what you said. Like when I went to first time, I went to Italy, um, and I was down in uh, Piano di Sorrento, and I was just like, "There's no way I'm not coming to Italy and not getting a pair of handmade Italian shoes and a handmade Italian suit 
You know what I mean? Strong. Like yeah. you, you got to do it, right? Yeah. So that's cool. Wow, that's so that's so interesting, man. I I love uh I love everything you're up to. Um, so like, you know, I heard I heard you say earlier, you know, like, you know, it was you know it was time to leave. Maybe stayed too long, but you know, there's that there's that good adrenaline inside you. So it just sounds like you're sounds like despite it all despite 2020 despite the zoom tastings despite <laughs> despite uh you know having to be like oh my god okay nope we're at two bottles that's it we're not you know you know despite everything we've had to fight through this year um you seem to be in a good place and you're you, you got a lot of things going on um so like oh man um listen lyle thanks for coming on the show man like thanks so much for being here can you tell people where they can find you and how they can be a part of what you're doing cool thanks man yeah our, our website is railsbackfrere.com uh our instagram is railsbackfrere i my instagram personal account is just lyle railsback and the the shirt the western bespoke shirt company uh coming soon is called uh Spaghetti Western. So it's really inspired. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, it's inspired by like 70s yeah. Hollywood. So like Plenty the Swift. big collars, you know, yeah. Robert Evans, yeah. this kind of thing. It'll, it'll be fun. I'm going to have to rock one of those. Uh, well, the, I'd love to make the, you one. Uh, man, I, I would, would love rock to make hell you one. I actually yeah. believe when I'm not podcasting, well, I only get dressed because my wife. <clears throat> I, 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 <laughs> my mom used to dress me. And like, I remember when I moved back from California, I was a California dude. I had like flip flops and like, I had my I had like my um, Hawaiian shirt like that was like you put on khaki and Hawaiian shirt that's dressed up in Santa Barbara so I, I had adopted that culture I remember we went on our first day I didn't have any clothes I had to go fucking buy some clothes man. and she's continued to dress me so yeah I would love to uh, I'd love to uh, uh, wear one of your shirts man. I'd Dude, love to I'll, I'll, I'll measure you next week and let's get you a shirt made oh I'd my love god to do it. that's supersonic yeah. yeah oh my god my guest today Lyle Rise, Lyle, 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 the Jura is 14% alcohol. It's it's the cheese. I, I was, you, I, you can't I, have cheese. I was, I was, I was peeping. I was peeping. I'm like, I'm a little sticky. <laughs> That's but the, um, the but it, it's so worth it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so worth this cheese. Is the combination. Um, you guys, feel free to bring, uh, uh, you know, food on. If somebody wants to bring, you know. Uh, Salmon, Kalubiak, anything simple. Yeah, anything yeah, simple. Yeah, you know, anybody want to bring some Krug and some Beluga, whatever you want to bring, <laughs> some Toast Points. I'm, you know, I'm down. It's all good. <laughs> Listen, everybody, <clears throat> thank you so much to my guest today, Lyle Railsback. You know where you can find him. Look in the show notes. Until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers. You hit all those points. And I say peace to all the wine drinkers. It's your boy, MJ. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. We want to thank our supporter, the Conaway Fund, a component of the Prosperity Foundation, which supports cultural and heritage events, scholarships, mentoring programs, and more. Go to theconawayfund.org and see how you can donate and make a difference in underserved communities.